0: Uh, Father, we do pray you could help us uh, tonight, help us to understand your word, help us to understand how it is fulfilled in Jesus, help us to find hope in it, Lord. We do pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, So I was looking through my old school books the other day, uh, and I found a bunch of drawings from when I was in grade one, and most of them were pretty sweet and pretty innocent, pretty reminiscent. Uh, when I went to the ECA, when I was playing with friends. Uh, But there was one that was a little bit more odd. I don't know if you can read that, but it's a drawing I did and it says, during the holidays I saw the car accident and I liked it. Um, I can't remember any such car accident. I certainly can't remember liking one. Um, I don't know what's more disturbing, that I liked the car accident or the teacher only thought to correct the capital L in liked. But I think, at the very least, it's proof that children can think just a little bit differently. There's a quote from a book called The Little Prince. Uh, It's a lovely little book. The book starts with a boy telling a story of the time that he tried to draw a snake digesting an elephant. But none of the grown-ups could understand his drawing. He said, does it frighten you? And they said, frighten? Why should anyone be frightened by a hat? Since they couldn't understand it, the boy drew the, snake digesting an elephant again a little bit more clearly for them. Then he said this, grown-ups never understand anything by themselves and it is tiresome for children to always and forever be explaining things to them. I can't imagine how my five-year-old self would have explained that drawing to my current self, uh, but it just goes to show that children and adults can think a little bit differently. And a part of that is that there's something about childhood that's special, something that we find hard to remember, something that we lose. This morning in Isaiah, or this evening, sorry, in Isaiah, we're going to be hearing about two young boys who explain some very childish and very obvious things to a worried king, and how God was almost growing tiresome of explaining his kingdom to them that was so simple even a child could understand it. So, first up, we meet a child called Remnant in verses 2 to 9. So Isaiah is a massive book. It covers many years. I'm not going to go through even the smallest part of it. If you want to hear the whole story, ask Jeremy. Uh, But the whole book is wrestling with the question of who should you trust in? All these powerful nations are threatening Judah, but should you trust in them or should you trust in God? And all throughout the book, there are these two images that keep coming at us over and over again of God's faithful people who would be saved, called a remnant, and a single figure who would save God's people. There are these constant images of a remnant and a saviour. But today we're at the start of the book and Assyria is starting to push towards Judah. Assyria, one of the most powerful foreign nations. The king of Judah is a guy called Ahaz and he's terrified when he hears that Assyria is swarming towards his country. It says when it became known to the house of David, i.e. Ahaz, that Aram had occupied Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the hearts of his people trembled like trees of a forest shaking in the wind. When Ahaz hears about the war that's coming to his country, his heart shakes like a wattle wattle brush in the wind. And at this moment, Ahaz is tempted to trust in Assyria, his worst enemy, to try to save him. He starts to think, they look pretty powerful. Maybe I should just trust in Assyria. Maybe I should give up my allegiance to my nation, to God. But Isaiah, the prophet, he won't stand for that. He comes in and he says, don't set your heart on Assyria. And also, don't set your heart on another nation and its power. Isaiah says, look, a novel idea. Trust in the Lord, not in these military powers. And so God calls Isaiah and his son to go to Ahaz to confront him in verse 3. The Lord said to Isaiah, go out with your son Sheer-Jashub to meet Ahaz at the end of the conduit by the upper pool, by the road to the launderer's field. So the city didn't have an independent water source. The entire city's water came through this water source. Ahaz was rushing to it before the Assyrians could get there to cut it off because his entire country would be under threat if they did. But Isaiah walks up to him with his son, shear jashub which means a remnant shall return. At the end of the last chapter in Isaiah, one of the last things it says, it says, a tenth will remain the land, it will be burned again like a terebinth or the oak that leaves a stump when felled, the holy seed is the stump. So whatever happens next, God is saying that he will make sure that there will be a remnant of faithful people who will remain. There will be a fire, there will be a stump, but there will be new life after that. And Isaiah's son, this little boy standing there, is called a remnant shall return. And he seems to be named after this promise. So if you imagine the scene, Isaiah walks out looking distinctly prophetic. He's got his big Bible under his arm. He's got his little boy next to him. He goes out to meet King Ahaz, Ahaz says, nice to meet you, Isaiah, who's the little fellow?" Isaiah says, oh, his name is a remnant shall return. Here is Ahaz talking with Isaiah and this child is already giving a message to the king. God is inviting Ahaz to trust in him to become a part of this remnant of faithful people. So already this child is representing the remnant that Ahaz is too proud to be a part of, this boy standing there thinking about Peppa Pig. So God tells Ahaz to pass on a message. He says, say to him, calm down, be quiet, don't be afraid or cowardly because of these two smoldering sticks, the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram, the son of Remaliah. God's saying to Ahaz, stop running around like a chicken with its head cut off just because of these two kings of Israel and Syria. They're just two smoking ends of sticks. They're nothing compared with the power of the living God. Uh, Serena and I, we went to Thailand in the September holidays. We went to teach at a school for Karen refugees, a high school on the Thai-Burma border. That's where I got this cool shirt as a thank you gift for teaching there. But one night when we were there, there was a massive storm. The whole school had a blackout. We were sitting in pitch blackness in the teacher's house. One of the other teachers who was living there came up and handed me a candle and a box of matches. Uh, So I lit the candle, I kind of dripped the wax down on the back of a plate, I stood it up, and this is all that I could see. It was pitch black except for lightning and this little candle flame. There was a fierce wind blowing every few seconds. The candlelight threatened to go out. And that's what God's saying it's like to trust in these two worldly powers. Compared to the power of the living God, this is what even the greatest human power looks like. And so God tells Ahaz, it will not happen. It will not occur. Within 65 years, Ephraim is going to be too shattered to be a people. Then the clincher, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. This is the ultimate warning to Ahaz, trusting in God is the only option here. Trusting in any power other than God will mean that you won't ultimately stand at all. You will be trusting in a flickering candle and you're gonna be in trouble. As powerful as they look now, it seems like they're the only option, but Ahaz, you have another option. Do you really wanna give up on your God? Trust your heart and your soul and your nation to this foreign country. So that was the first child called a remnant shall return. Here's the second child who tries to confront Ahaz, the second child called Emmanuel, from verses 10 to 16. So Ahaz, he still doesn't want to be a part of the remnant, so God, he needs this other child to step in and try to explain the situation to Ahaz, which God tries to show Ahaz by reaching out to him and offering him a miracle. From verse 10, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask for a sign from the Lord your God. It can be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. So that's an offer you can't refuse. What would you say to this? Uh, God gives you a blank check. He says, anything in heaven or earth that will help you trust in me, I'll give it to you. Uh, But Ahaz just says with pious pretension, well, I don't want to trust in the Lord. Test the Lord. Uh, Freudian slip there. God is offering to go to the deepest depths or the highest heights to help Ahaz. But Ahaz, he's already made his mind up. He's going to trust in Assyria. And from verse 14, God pretty much just ignores everything Ahaz says, his refusal, and he offers him a sign anyway. He says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. By the time he learns to reject what is bad and choose what is good, he'll be eating curds and honey, For before the boy knows to reject what is bad and choose what is good, the land of the two kings you dread will be abandoned. I was going through some old stuff the other day. As I said, I seem to be going through a lot of old stuff lately. Uh, I found a pile of baby journals my mum kept. I found this little note written on Christmas Eve. It said, um, December 24th, slept through 10 p.m. to 5 a.m., I did the reading at church today, Isaiah 7, 10 to 16. Felt emotional as I had a baby boy recently. Philip slept the whole service. Um, I'm glad that I slept the whole service, I guess. Uh, But uh, this was quite special to me when I found it. My mum passed away when I was 15. Um, The thought that she was reading this passage out that we just read uh, at church, she was getting emotional because she'd had me two months before. I thought that was pretty special, pretty beautiful. Uh, But I think for anyone, especially Ahaz, this promise should have made him break down in tears because it's beautiful and it's exactly what he needed. But even though God held out his hand to help Ahaz, to offer him a miracle, uh, this just dulled Ahaz's heart even more. He only seemed to get even more set in not trusting in God by God offering another sign whether Ahaz liked it or not, in the form of another boy. And just like Isaiah's son, Remnant, the second boy is also an offer of salvation, but this boy is also a sign of judgment. Just compare verses 11 and verse 13. Isaiah goes from saying, ask for a sign from the Lord your God, to will you also try the patience of my God? So somehow when Ahaz denies God's gracious offer of this sign, Isaiah seems to switch. Isaiah says, will you try the patience of my God? Not your God, Ahaz, because you don't want to be numbered with him, quite obviously. And even the name of this child speaks into this. Emmanuel, it means God with us. He's saying whether you like it or not, Ahaz, whether you trust in God or not, God will be with us. And he can either be with you as your God or not as your God. He will either be with you in salvation or in judgment. You can either be a part of the remnant or not. That's what these two little boys were saying to the king. A remnant shall return and God will be with us. So trust in the Lord to become a part of this remnant so that God will be with you for your salvation, ultimately through the salvation of Emmanuel, who would be the truly faithful remnant, who would be truly God with us that's our next section a child called jesus in matthew 1. because we hear this name again emmanuel at the start of matthew's gospel it says an angel of the lord says to joseph in a dream marry mary because she's going to have a son the angel says this you are to name him jesus because he will save his people from their sins now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the lord through the prophets. see the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son they will name him Emmanuel which is translated, God is with us. This boy named Jesus would fulfill this promise. Mary gives birth to a son and names him Jesus, but this boy is also going to be Emmanuel. He's going to be God with us. God asked Ahaz to ask for a sign as deep as the grave or as high as heaven, but I'm sure that even in his wildest dreams, even when hearing the name Emmanuel, He would never have imagined that it could be fulfilled like this God being with us in this way there's one theologian J.I. Packer he put it like this God became man the almighty appeared on earth as a helpless baby unable to do more than lie and stare and wriggle and make noises needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child the babyhood of the son of God was a reality The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as this truth of the incarnation. In the incarnation, God becoming man, we see the greatest miracle on heaven or on earth because we see heaven come to earth. And so nothing as deep as the grave or as high as heaven seems impossible anymore. God knew that we could never climb up to him, so he had to come down to us. God had to come himself to do what we couldn't do, because God came to fetch us. And that's what Christmas means for you and I. Christmas means that for us, because of this, there is all the hope in the world. When God showed up in Jesus Christ, he wasn't a pillar of fire or a whirlwind, but he was a baby, And there's nothing quite like a baby because even young children, they can do their own thing and run from you, but babies, they need to be held, to be fed. They're completely dependent. So why would God come in the form of a baby rather than a firestorm or a whirlwind? Because this time he came not to bring judgment, but to bear it, to pay the penalty for our sins, to take away the barrier between us and him so that we can live with God forever. There's a line in a carol, I'm sure we're going to sing it over the next couple of weeks. Hark the herald angels sing. It says, mild he lays his glory by. So what does that mean? It means he did it voluntarily. He did it willingly. He did it lovingly. No one forced him. It wasn't just a duty. Jesus faced unimaginable pain and death out of love for you. The incarnation brought Jesus near to us. He brought God near to us. So that he can live with us and every year millions of people sing every Christmas Jesus our Emmanuel but are they really with him do they really know him or just know about him because Jesus literally moved heaven and earth to become near to us so how can we truly be with him now we're going to see that in our last section a kingdom of children back in Isaiah in chapter 11 this time Uh, Where we get a vision of the kingdom of heaven, and again, a child is at the center. It says this, it says, a wolf will dwell with the lamb, the leopard is going to lie down with the goat, the calf, the young lion, the fattened calf will be together, and a child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze, their young ones will lie down together, the lions will eat straw like cattle, an infant will play beside a cobra's pit. The toddler will put his hands in a snake's den. They will not harm or destroy each other on my entire holy mountain, for the land will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is filled with water. This is going to be like Peter Pan, like Neverland. Heaven will be a complete rearrangement and renewal of creation. Everything in the animal kingdom is going to be reversed, and who will be the kings? Who will be the leaders? It's going to be the smallest Ones, the leaders are people who who aren't like Ahaz, the people who are just little children. You'll have kids leading around kings of the jungle, you'll have nursing babies playing in cobras pits, it just being fun and games. There will be no hurting or destroying. The greatest people in the redeemed community will be the ones who are the tiny ones. They will have the greatest power in the kingdom of God precisely because they have no power and they're completely dependent on their father. All they can do is cry out to their father for help. Our unit shares a wall with our neighbours. It's a pretty thin wall. Uh, We've had a few different neighbours over the years, but one constant seems to be that we seem to always have a young boy living next to us. If you had to make a word cloud of the words that we've heard through the wall most Uh, prominently over the years I think the number one word would be daddy uh, or baba recently, it's an uh, Arabic speaking family, Uh, they would have to be at the top Uh, even when I was writing this talk I was trying to come up with an illustration uh, for this all I heard for minutes on end was daddy, 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 daddy and it took me a while to realise, I'm a bit slow, Uh, but it was the perfect illustration that's what the kingdom of heaven will be like And we read this over and over again in these chapters of Isaiah. We read, child, 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 trust, trust, trust. Uh, Even Jesus said in the Gospels, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Children are the emblems of heaven. The kingdom belongs to the little trusting ones like them. And of course, this is a lesson that we need to keep learning because children are completely dependent, and the Bible says that's you. You can't give God anything to make him love you more. You need everything from his hand, so you might as well live as if that's true. You aren't so grown up that you should pretend to give anything to God to earn his love because when the armies come, they're just flickering candles. The kingdom of heaven belongs to the little ones who walk humbly to God's Emmanuel, Jesus Christ, knowing they have absolutely nothing in their hands to offer. And I realize it takes enormous courage to do this because it means admitting that you can't save yourself. You have to trust everything to Jesus. Uh, But this attitude is the way to get everything that Jesus brings into your life, all the comfort, all the hope, all the joy, And it means that Christmas truly is for everyone. It means that God has already come down to us to identify fully with all the little ones, with the poor, with the needy. He came down to us as far as he could could come through coming as a helpless child who ultimately died to save all those who trust their lives to him. So all we need to do is rest our hearts in the arms of our Heavenly Father. I think we especially need to remember this now as we're heading into two massive weeks with carols because in all the hours of work and hundreds of people and festivities and sweat, uh, we need to know that we're absolutely not holding out our own power or our own glory but through our weakness, through our love, through our dependence on our Heavenly Father. That's how our wider community, how they're going to catch a glimpse of the goodness and love of our Father. Grown-ups never understand anything by themselves. It is tiresome for children to always and forever be explaining things to them. Let me pray that for all of us right now. Lord God, you were our maker, but you became one of us. You are the bread of life who hungered. You are the fountain of life who thirsted. You are the healer who was wounded. You are the life who died. We praise you, Lord, that you did all of this for us. Lord, may our souls awaken from their dreams and see salvation in your great gospel. Your glorious Son becoming nothing so that we could have everything. Father, we know we have nothing to offer, so we just rejoice that you have done it all. Help us to trust in you for all that we have. For Christ's sake, we ask this. Amen. I'm going to call the band up now for our final song.